Well, good evening, everyone. Good to be here. We turn to Exodus chapter 15. And uh, we'll take time to read the whole of the chapter. Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses, this is after, of course, they had come from the Red Sea, as we thought about last week. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a pile. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I'll divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I'll draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. And we trust that God will bless what we've read from his word. There's quite often we see uh, the situation in our experience where people's mood depends on the circumstances round about them. Maybe people come into some money and they're feeling happy. Maybe they're running out of money and they're feeling sad. Maybe it's because they support a sports team that's winning and they feel happy and then their team's losing and they feel sad. And it's the circumstances that are driving them. It might be that they're in good health and they feel up and then they're in poor health and they feel down. 
And what we see here is the people of Israel kind of acting in this way. Their mood depended on their circumstances. Their mood in the first part of what we read is a great contrast with their mood in the second part. And it was the circumstances that were different. The events were only separated by a matter of three days. And as we read the passage, and uh, if you've been reading it beforehand, you would know it was coming, and if not, well, we read, they went three days. And you might have thought to yourself, how could they flip? They're praising God in this wonderful song that's entitled The Song of Moses, where Moses led them in praise, and then Miriam with the ladies and their tambourines, and they were praising God for all the wonderful things that he had done. Then a few days later, they're grumbling and they're unhappy. And they're starting to say, where's the water? What are we going to drink? Well, we need to ask ourselves, do we behave like that at times? I think uh, all of us probably have to say, being honest, that we do at times. Whether it's all the time, that would be sad uh, if we behave like that all the time. But I think it's probably true that in each of our experiences there are times when circumstances influence our mood and we're up because the circumstances are good and we're down because the circumstances are bad. So let's think about what it was that they had experienced and knew of God. What led them to grumble and how did God deal with it? So we'll think about the passage in these three uh, ways. What had they experienced and what did they know about God? What led them to grumble and what did God do about it? And what happened, how God dealt with it? So what did they experienced and what did they know of God? Well, the first part of what we read is a wonderful song. It's the first song recorded in scripture. Uh, it's a lengthy song. It's interesting that when you get to the book of Revelation, then the people are singing as they come, th they stand beside the sea of glass and the appearance of fire. It's referred to as the sea of glass, but it looks as though there's fire in it. That they sang the song of Moses and of the Lamb. I'm not going to start making comparisons with that tonight, but suffice it to say that there's this song at the beginning of our Bibles, relatively close to the beginning in Exodus, and also at the end, and there are common themes in, in these songs. And in the later one, it's mentioned as the song of Moses and of the Lamb. But tonight, I'm just going to focus my attention on its context here in the book of Exodus. Well, we've been going through Exodus, and we know the storyline. They've been brought out of slavery in Egypt. They had seen their captives... Those that were their slave masters destroyed in the sea, in the Red Sea. Now, perhaps the people that actually beat them up on a regular basis weren't amongst those destroyed. It was the soldiers of Pharaoh who were destroyed, along with Pharaoh. But it was the oppressive Egyptians, the ones who for some 400 years or more, 430 years, had been oppressing them and had held them in slavery. They'd been destroyed. And we thought about that last week, if you were here, that not only had they made their way out of Egypt, but they had seen and witnessed for themselves the destruction of their great enemy. God had defeated their enemy. So they had seen God at work. And they'd seen God in his power. In the previous chapter, chapter 14, verse 14 says, tells us that um, Moses said, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Well, that they did. But now the silence has ended and they're praising God and they're rejoicing. Now, there's no detail of how they all got into the words of this song um, and how they all managed to sing the same words, all million of them or so. Um, maybe it was a bit like, um, you know, Moses was the presenter um, and uh, the people then 
sung the words that Moses led them in as he was, um, as he was exercised by God to, to lead them in these, these words. Or perhaps even, and it's quite conceivable, that the Holy Spirit came upon them in some way temporarily and, and they all managed to sing the words. Whatever happened, it doesn't really matter too much how it happened. The key thing was that the people as a whole lifted up their voices. And verse 1 says, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. So it was coming from the hearts of the people, all of them. They were excited. They were elevated. They'd broken free and their enemy was destroyed. You know, in all their life's history, it hadn't got better than that. It would never been be- as good as this. Now, sadly, for the majority of them, it was never going to be ever as good again because of their disobedience. And we'll come to that as we go through the rest of the book. But for these people, you know, we shouldn't underestimate the high experience this was for them. They had seen their enemy defeated. And of course, last week when Brother Ian was here, he made the obvious and correct comparison with the defeat of death. And we know that God has not just taken us out, but he has defeated uh, death and the Lord has, has done that. So we can think of what that meant to us and we can just think what it meant to these people um, of Israel. But my mind cast back as I was, I was looking at it to that time um, when Moses had come to the people God had sent him, and there was that first visit that uh, Moses made, and the people were really excited at the idea that they were going to be brought out um, of Egypt. And Moses went with Aaron to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh basically said, you've got to be joking. You're kidding. No way. And of course, he said these terrible words, you know, who does Jehovah think he is? That was the essence of Pharaoh's response. Who does your God think he is to tell me what to do? That was the initial response of Pharaoh. And of course, it didn't get any different until God brought the 10th plague that we were thinking of this morning, as Boya reminded us at the Passover. And the people were made to work even harder. And they complained, and we can't be too critical of them, can we? They complained that they were being made to make bricks without straw. And they said to Moses, I don't know why you bothered. You've just made life more difficult for us. And Moses knew that it was God's will that the people would be released And Moses needed a word from God. And God came to Moses. And in chapter 6 of Exodus, God reinforces to Moses his covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And reminded Moses that these men, the fathers, had only known God as God. And Moses had had revealed to him God's name the Lord, Jehovah. And that encouraged Moses. But not just that, God gave Moses a message for the people. And I found it interesting to look back to what that message was and to compare it with how they gave thanks. In Exodus 6, breaking into the middle of it, verse 6, God says to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. And then last verse to be passage we're reading, verse 9 is interesting. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So when Moses delivered this message to them from God, they were feeling down because of their circumstances. And scripture tells us they didn't listen to Moses because their spirits were broken and the slavery was harsh. It became harder for them because of the bricks having to be made without straw. But if we look at the song of Moses, we see many of these things reflected throughout what God had said to them via Moses. God uses the phrase, I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God. And this, this is what they're saying. I will sing to the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my song. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. And to read of the Lord throughout this, the people recognized that God, Jehovah, was powerful. God had actually done the things he said he would do. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And they talk about how they've been taken and Pharaoh and his chariots and his host have been cast into the sea. I did smile as I, as I read verse 10. You blew with your wind. And I was thinking of the chorus, God blew with his wind, puff, 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 puff. And we sing that with the kids. I used to sing it when I was a child. You know, and um, do all the actions and uh, all the things that uh, the children of Israel didn't do. But it is good to remind ourselves that, you know, although the chorus is a bit humorous, this wasn't funny. This was deadly serious as they approached, as we thought last week, as they approached the Red Sea. But the wonderful thing is, it's a true story. And God opened up the sea before them. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a pile, the deeps congealed to allow them to cross. And the enemy said, oh, let's go after them. Now, clearly, for Pharaoh with his chariots, it was the fact that there was a solid roadway across that meant that Pharaoh and his troops had the confidence to hammer on and go there in their horses and with their chariots. You wouldn't really take horses and chariots into quicksand, would you? But so clear was this path that God had made for his people. And God had said... I will deliver you. I will bring you out. And he did do. And they rejoiced in that. And this song. They said, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And there's two occasions in Exodus 6 in the passage you read where God uses the phrase, brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And they'd certainly been under the burdens. They'd been beaten down. Well, it was the Egyptians that were under the burden of God when the waters caved in on them, of course. And verse 11 uh, in the song that we read, they sung, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. God had said, I will be your God. And the people were saying, you are our God. They hadn't listened the first time, but they got it as God had rescued them. They'd heard all the things that Moses and Aaron had said to them. They'd been skeptical. When it came to crunch at the time of the Passover, though, they had done what God had commanded them. And these people had been brought through and God had wondrously saved them. 
But there is a remarkable change happens round about verse 13. And the first half-ish of the song up to uh, about verse, the middle of verse 12 talks in the past about the things that have just happened, about how they have been brought out. And, and it culminates in, sorry, I said verse 12, I mean verse 13. It culminates the people whom you have redeemed, which of course was one of the things that God had said he would do, would he would redeem them. And that related to the history of what had just happened over the preceding weeks um, with the plagues and then culminating in going through the Red Sea. But it then changes and they then talk about things that haven't actually happened yet, as if they had happened. That's quite remarkable. They had this great confidence that God had defeated their enemies. Now, bearing in mind, it just happened. Right? They were standing there on the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his armies were getting washed up on the shores. Pharaoh's soldiers didn't have advanced telecoms. There wasn't somebody standing on the far bank radioing back to head office and it was in Facebook or whatever, you know, on the news instantly. And the people in Philistia knew. No. When the people said these things, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leader of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. <coughs> this was still future. But as we read through what happened... Now, allowing for the fact that it wasn't this generation, it was their children who ended up going into the land because of what became the disbelief of this generation. But that was not, that was not down to God. That was down to their disbelief. But in terms of them as a people, these are the things that happened. These are the things that came to pass. It's also true to say that had they not had disbelief, these are the things that this generation would have experienced and witnessed. But their disbelief, unfortunately, ruined all that for them. Now, like what Ian said a couple of times last week, we need to remember that not all of these people of Israel were believers. They didn't all believe in God. So you can't make a comparison between the people of Israel then and the church now as if the two things were identical. Um, you can get caught up in all sorts of problems that way. The people that disbelieved were not believers. That's like a kind of self-evident statement, I know, but it's an important one. But anyway, coming back to the thrust of what we were saying, in this song, not only did they celebrate what had happened, but they took the promise of God that had been made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and had been restated to them by Moses, speaking on behalf of God. And they applied it to themselves and said, we're going to go on into Canaan. God has terrified the inhabitants of Philistia, Edom, Moab, and Canaan. And we will overcome them through God. God will overcome them. That was the level of confidence they had at this time. It was the level of faith that Moses had. That's for sure. Never mind whether everybody in the crowd had it. But this was the level of faith that Moses had. And they had experienced God at work. And they knew that he was going to lead them into his land. Well, they hadn't listened. But verse 31 uh, of chapter 14 which is the tail end, obviously, of, of last week's passage, says that when they saw, they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses, and now they were believing. So that was their experience and knowledge of God. And it was a real high for them. So it led them to grumble. Verse 22 tells us that they were three days in the wilderness and found no water. 
it was only three days, 72 hours. It's not a long time. I think if we're sympathetic to them and put ourselves in the same position, if any one of us had to go three days without water uh, being seen or being available for drinking, it's not to say they didn't have bags of water, but three days without the prospect of water, uh, we'd be sorely tempted to grumble. So, you know, we have to recognise that they weren't grumbling about nothing, as it were. They were genuinely being tested by God. But they were found wanting. They grumbled because they didn't just get everything laid on a plate for them. That's the essence of why they grumbled. They'd come out, they were heading for Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, but they wanted the milk and the honey today. And they grumbled because they couldn't even see their way to getting water. And three days in, you can imagine somebody says, there's water, there's water, and the excitement running through the camp. And you can just imagine it, you know, and somebody runs up, puts in whatever kind of cups they were using, and goes to drink it, and <laughs> spits it out as soon as it's in their mouth, because the water's bitter. Minerals, whatever, in the water. Now, I've on occasion had to gargle my throat with salt water. And it's not a very smart thing when you accidentally swallow it, is it? Or get too much in your tongue. So we know what it's like. You can't drink salty water or water that's got a lot of mineral content in it. It just is repugnant. And you can imagine the disappointment of these people. And they grumbled and said to Moses, what shall we drink? What a contrast with Mary, who we read of when Gabriel came and told her that she would bear a son, who would be the son of the Most High God. And Mary said, how will these things be? It was an inquiry made in faith. How will these be? Well, it's going to happen. So could you maybe just enlighten me a wee bit about how it's going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. I'm not quite sure about this, says Mary. There was no question in Mary's mind it was going to happen. It was just... Can you maybe expand on it a little bit, Gabriel, please? Was the thought in her mind, and Gabriel did. She was never rebuked for asking the question. But these people were grumbling. Oh, what are we going to drink now? What do you think we're going to do now, Moses? So much for coming out here. And you can imagine the muttering and the whinging and the whining that then came about. And Moses turned to God. Moses cried out to the Lord. And there's this remarkable uh, action that God asked him was to take a log and throw it in. Now how that worked, I've seen all sorts of speculation, but I think it's quite reasonable to say that in in real terms, there was a miracle there conducted by God, and it was symbolic as well. God had said, do this, and Moses did it, and the problem was solved. And therein was an important lesson for them. God was perfectly able to provide. Even when, in a natural sense, what they had in front of them was useless to them, God was able to transform it and make it suitable for them in a way that they hadn't thought it would be suitable. So God's able to turn these things around. They were grumbling probably because they had got into the desert instead of going on the road that went up the coast. But God had taken them that way for their own safety. We thought about that in chapter 13. But they were unhappy and we've got to ask ourselves honestly, do we behave like that at times? 
do we find ourselves unhappy with our circumstances and in whatever form it comes, whether we express it or whether it's thoughts in the back of our mind, we in effect say, what's going on, Lord? What's happening here? This isn't very good. I don't like what you've dished up for me today. It doesn't really seem the best of circumstances. And the implication is, do you know what you're doing? That was really what was behind their question. Is Moses, do you know what you're doing here? And behind that, Moses, does God know what he's doing? And it's easy for us to read through in what? Five, ten minutes it took to read chapter 15 and go through these three days and say, oh, oh, they're pretty ungrateful, these folks. You know, they've been slaves in Egypt. They've been making bricks without straw. They've been hounded for hundreds of years. They own nothing. God's given them all of these riches of gold and jewelry and so on. They're richer than they've ever been. Their oppressors have been killed off. And God's taken them somewhere where they'll have a country of their own. And all they need to do was walk through a desert. How ungrateful. But it's always good to sit and say to ourselves, well, what would I have done in these same circumstances? Would I have been as good as somebody with the benefit of hindsight can be? See, it's easy to see with hindsight what was going on. But for these people living at that time, they were living in the present. And it's in the present that our trials come. And sadly, these folks grumbled. But God dealt with it. I think it's fair to say that the grumble they had on that day was relatively small compared with some of the grumbles that came later. And certainly their unbelief was nothing compared with the depths they sank to, (coughs) ultimately by refusing to go into Canaan because they didn't believe that God would kill the, the armies that faced them and that God would give them the land. Their unbelief developed. It was far greater than it was on that day, but the seeds of it were there. But God dealt with it. He showed Moses what to do and he gave them sweet water to drink. But God then made for them a statute and a rule, we read. God laid out to them how he wanted them to behave so that they could bring happiness, so that they could be content. And there's a degree of repetition in in verse 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, hear and do, hear and do. And that was God's message. God's message was, in this trial that you're going through, as you journey across the wilderness to get to this place that God had promised them. Listen to what I'm telling you and just do what I say. It's not any more complicated than that really, is it? That was the essence of what God said. Diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes. Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes and you won't be be sick. I won't put any of the diseases in you that I put in the Egyptians. Now that, I suspect, was referring to the plagues in particular. But there would have other diseases as well. And God was saying, just do what I tell you and I'll look after you through this journey. The law came later, 
The details of the law came later. But God's commandment to them was straightforward and simple to understand. And that strikes us still down through the centuries. Listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes. Pick up your Bible and read it and do what it says. Now, it might nuance itself in all sorts of different ways for different individuals. But the message is still true. God's solution to the trials of life, the things that we would grumble about, the things that get us down when circumstances aren't good around us, is just keep to what God has in mind for us. Listen to what he has to say and do it. Now, if we're going to listen to the voice of the Lord, our God, if we're going to give ear to his commandments so that we can do that, which is right in his eyes and keep all his statutes, well, we've got to be listening. We've got to be hearing and listening. There's no point, you know, sticking earplugs in our ears and ignoring the voice of God speaking to us or blocking it out and then hoping that somehow it'll just all work out for us. God says, listen to me and I'll preserve you and I'll keep you. He didn't say, the promise was that he would put none of the diseases on them. He didn't say, listen and do, and tomorrow you'll have a fantastic feast. You'll have all the cucumber and garlic that you're going to complain about next week. Don't worry, it's coming. None of that. He didn't say, I'll give you what you want. He didn't say, I'm going to make life easy for you. But he said, I'll preserve you and I'll keep you from that which is fatal. Now, we don't read here what the people's response was to it in particular. But when we think on into the New Testament, my mind was drawn to, to James chapter 1. Hearing and doing. And James says... But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I did say that we need to listen. But we also need to do. And James elaborates on this self-same theme. And he says, it's easy to look into the word of God and, as it were, to, to be a hearer. But if we don't do what it says, well, the well-known uh, analogy makes it's like looking at the mirror and then going away and forgetting what you look like doesn't do you any good but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres not being a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing so both things matter we need to hear and listen to know what to do but having heard, we need to do. And that was the essence of God's rule and statute, statute and rule for the people at the time. And it's the essence, really, of how we should be governed in our behaviour. We should read the word of God and we should put it into practice in our lives. And that will enable us to deal with trials 
times when we're down. Now, you know, we've suffered ups and downs in varying degrees in our lives. You know, we can think of things personally that we've suffered that have got us down, that have tried us. The solution in all these circumstances is to turn to God and his word and to trust what we read and what it tells us to be the thing that we should do. God in his grace took them to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they camped there by the water. They'd have plenty to drink. Their flocks would have plenty to drink and I, I expect plenty grazing. God taught them to trust in him that they wouldn't be pushed beyond what they could bear. And we see similar teaching in the New Testament. Paul writes to the Corinthians, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. However bad the circumstances, and let's not forget that three days without water was not trivial. However bad the circumstances, however awful what's going on round about us in our lives might seem, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And Paul, in writing to the Philippians, verse 7 of chapter 4, a verse that's so well known to us, Paul writes, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not that the peace of God is something that we cannot understand because we don't understand his peace. It's the peace of God in its essence. And having it is better than having understanding. These people didn't know that they'd been taken through the wilderness to avoid the armies that would have faced them on the coast road. So God didn't explain that to them. But he told them, keep trusting me and keep going. And as Paul writes to the Philippians, we're reminded, it's the peace of God that goes beyond and is better than understanding the circumstances that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So it's essential for the believer to keep hold of who God is, what he's done for us, what he's promised he'll do for us as the Israelites sang in their song and to view all of life's circumstances with this perspective. We do find it easier to be cheerful in praise when circumstances are comfortable and good. But it's important that when they're uncomfortable, even when they're tough, that we continue to trust in God. We continue to praise him and to hold on to his promises. We might not feel like singing quite as loudly, but in our hearts, we'll praise him and hold on to his promises. It doesn't necessarily take the pain out of our circumstances, but it will give us peace in our hearts that's better than understanding what's happening to us. The Israelites sadly failed in their test, that generation did. But with God's word and the truth of having the Holy Spirit living in our lives, we don't need to fail. But let's be encouraged by knowing that the way of escape, the way through the circumstances is there for us. And God will take us through. If we listen diligently to his voice, do that which is right in his eyes. Give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes. Shall we pray? Our Father, we give thanks that we can turn to your word and we can learn lessons from it daily. Thank you that 
it tells us how to live. I think of the examples we have, such as these people who struggled with a lack of water, and you taught them how to persevere. Father, we give thanks for the knowledge that we have that we are going to go and be taken to a place that's far far better and far exceeds the land of Canaan. But Father, help us to endure the world through which we live with all its manifest difficulties and trials. And help us to trust in you and to quietly persevere, knowing that you're our God and that all things are for your glory. And we'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if we could close our meeting this evening uh, by singing 671. 671. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Verse 4. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ, hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine. For in death, as in life, thou will whisper thy peace to my soul. Let's rise to sing uh, hymn number 671.